Hello and welcome to the Native and the Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. Jen, another week, another episode. Yeah, here we are. How are you enjoying the wind? Oh, it's so cool. (laughs) This has so much dust and everything else that my allergies are acting up and even my voice is is a little bit off tonight. Yeah, that manly (laughs) deep voice. Yeah, mine's a little deeper because of it. (laughs) It happens. It happens. Yeah. So, well, let's dive right into it. Um, election talk. So, election was on Tuesday, yeah, on the, yeah. April fifth, and so it was a, a lot of the local municipalities around northern Colorado. So, it was Bertha, Johnstown, Wellington, Windsor, and Evans didn't have an election because there weren't enough. Uh, there, were, everybody who opted had a position, so they just did away with their elections this year. I save a little money there. If oh, you don't, yeah. Why run it if you need, don't need to? Yeah, you're going to save twenty five grand by not running <laughs> running an election. Right. Exactly. All right. So, do we want to start with Berthet or do we want to wait till the end for Berthet? Let's do that at the end. Do that at the end. Yeah. All right. So Johnstown, that one as of right now. You had three trustees that were, um, this is all unofficial, uh, numbers. You have Jesse, uh, Molinar Jr. Now he's safe. Now the other two right now that are slated as winners is Diane Morris and Vanessa Dominguez. Now the reason why I say that, um, so Jesse got enough votes that He's perfectly fine. So are you familiar with why there's unofficial t- numbers? Well, that unofficial. was my, yeah, that was my question before we were, we started today, but I, please explain it because I think it's important. Yes. So the reason why on election night they come out with unofficial numbers is because, because essentially every single one of these municipalities did mail-in vote mm-hmm. that if the signature doesn't match up on the ballot, so if it's illegible or um, there is possibly a name change, this is something that happens. So if a woman gets married, changes her last name, and then doesn't update her signature, and so her signature is with her her maiden name, then at that point in time, they have to update that signature. And so they reach out to any of these uh, these ballots that they weren't able to confirm the identity on, and then they can um, they reach out to them to allow them an opportunity, and they have eight days to be able to submit their ballot again. Okay. The okay. other reason for it is any of our overseas or stationed military personnel. Yep. And then they have, as long as their ballot was postmarked by election day, then they have eight days to receive that, and then it's counted. Okay. So. Well, it seems like that's kind of been a big deal in all of these elections, too, because there's some pretty tight numbers. Yes, very much so. Okay. And so that's where the, within the Johnstown race, the bottom four are all within about 20 to 30 votes of each other. Okay. So it's very possible that within the next eight days, depending on how many ballots um, were illegible or how many ballots uh, they needed to send back out to have them confirmed or how many absentee ballots are coming in, that could sway the election within Johnstown. Well, we saw that in Loveland's election. I mean, we're... Somebody won by one vote. Yeah, Joe Mallow. Joe Mallow. One vote. One vote. And then prior election was Andrea Sampson that won by three votes. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're unofficial numbers right now. Now, there's some like in Wellington. So before we move on to Wellington, so that's Johnstown. um, They did have a 
a line item vote as well as far as their home home rule sorry home rule charter so what that was saying is that they changed the 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 charter to reflect that you must be a citizen of Johnstown um you must be a citizen of Johnstown in order to bring up an issue Oh, uh, like at their city council meetings? Correct. Okay. I so, mean, and that's that, fair. that passed overwhelmingly. I think it was like 1,200 votes to 200. Do you think that that came out of the kind of pandemic thing where people from all over the world were calling into Absolutely. these meetings? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> that's just my I, initial well, thought. I mean, that's something that they're even talking about here within Loveland because, yeah. again, when they were on Zoom, when everything was on Zoom, they had people, especially with the Karen Gardner case, all of that stuff, oh, yeah. they had people all across the country that were calling in. And then at that point in time, you have three minutes to talk, and that's why they went till 2 o'clock in the morning and all of that stuff with their meetings. Yeah, that sounds so exhausting, too. <laughs> so now Wellington. So Wellington, the mayor, is – it's I think it's pronounced Kalar, uh, Chelsea. It's C-A-L-A-R. I would bet Kalar. Kalar. Yeah. Uh, Kalar, so overwhelmingly won. And then trustees, Brian Mason, Sherelle uh, – Teets, T-I-E-T-Z, and David Weigand, W-I-E-G-A-N-D, Weigand, 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 Weigand. Um, so, and they are not in a situation in Wellington of where any of the extra votes that come in, because again, you're talking, typically it's less than 40 votes. Okay. Okay. Is absentee and then also um, corrections on ballots. So, none of those are really at a point where 40 votes could make a difference. So that one's, that one's not that, that unofficial one's, really. Yeah. That one's pretty well set in stone. Now, Windsor, Windsor. So district two is Barry Wilson. District four is Julie Klein and district six, Jason Hollett. Uh, he, he ran uncontested in district oh, okay. six. Okay. So, and with all of those, so it was all of the incumbents. In Windsor that won. Yeah. And again, Windsor is in a situation as well where they don't have to worry about some of the extra votes that are going to be coming in. So those are pretty official numbers at this moment. And really no changes then. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, and then we get on to Berthet. Yeah. So Berthet, uh, election night was not a good night for me. I was rather frustrated with how that turned out. Um, so you had Tim Hardy, Sean Murphy, and Carl Ayers that are sitting at it right now. Now, Carl Ayers and the fourth, I was fifth, um, the fourth person, so her name is Ellen Rush, and she is only seven votes. There's only a seven-vote difference between her and Carl. So with those two, I know for a fact, because I got the email, that there are 18 ba- uh, ballots that they are expected to come in. That one can very easily flip-flop if these ballots that get uh, returned, if they go all for Ellen and none of them go for Carl, right? Ellen wins the seat. Right. So you were saying that there was 11 that were... Yeah, I believe there was 11 that are going out and then it was, I believe it was seven absentee ballots that they're expecting to be returned. Okay. I mean, that seven absentee ballots really could flip that pretty quickly too, couldn't it? It could. So that's one that, uh, race that I'm still keeping an eye on. Um, you know, overall it was pretty tight, close race. It really all was. All within about 150 votes. Yeah. I do want to point that out. How many voters are in Burthen? 
So they, they mailed out over just over 8,600 ballots okay. and only, I think by the, the tally, I think there were about 2,400 that were returned. Right. So first let's talk about that because that's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. There, you know, there's a lot of time and effort and I, I know you can speak to this, but there is a lot of time and effort that goes into running a campaign and you go to a lot of meetings and you do a lot of strategizing and all of those things. But also you're talking to people all the time. You're going to events and you're really sharing what you have to say and what you feel like your vision is. Now I do want to point out that I think it was 180 votes or something that you put you in fifth position. There was a difference of that much. No. Oh, was it less than that? Or? So 96, uh, 96 or 97 votes. Oh, see. Okay. What's so the difference? Yeah. 96 or 97 votes. You know, what kind of bothers me about that is, I, I mean, of course, I'm going to back you 100% because I feel like you were the right person for that position. But what I would say bothers me about that is that we had 8,600 ballots go out and 2,400 were returned. I need to double check, but based off of the, the number of votes that came in, it's somewhere, it's less than 3,000. I know that less than 3,000 votes were actually cast. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. We have all of these incumbents coming back into office and sitting exactly where they're going to be. And there is so much going on with all these board of trustees and city councils across northern Colorado. And people are yelling about that. And we're still voting in the incumbents. So that's going to be the meat of this podcast is talking about overall change and dealing with how do we affect it. Right. And this is not just on a local level, but this is also on a national level. I concur. And I think yeah. the easiest way that we we can start talking about this is at the national level. You look at the House of Representatives. So 435 representatives. The fact that they have a less than 5% approval rate and yet 96% of incumbents get reelected. It's infuriating. Yeah. But it boils down to the not my guy mentality. Right. It's everybody else, but it's not my guy. And so when you have that mentality, when everybody has that mentality of it's everybody else is a problem, but not my guy, that's how you have all of these incumbents that continue to get reelected term after term after term. Why do you think that is? Because if I think a lot of it boils down to the fact that you don't want to say that you were wrong. Okay. You don't want to state that your vote was wrong and that you voted. And we're seeing this happen right now where we're, we're battling the, the internal consciousness because I'm going to use Biden for yeah, example absolutely. is I talk with him and because of my campaign, I had the the opportunity to talk with an awful lot of people from both sides of the aisle and dive down deep. And every single one that voted for Biden, they, it wasn't a vote for Biden. It was a vote against Trump, but then they are coming back and saying, I'm, this is the first time that I regret my vote. Interesting. But that is, Politics has become, we've talked about this before, where politics has become almost a religion. And so if you are looking at the guy that you put up on the pedestal or the the woman that you put up on that pedestal and they're not performing, they aren't doing what they said they would do. Now you're internalizing it and going, that was my vote. 
Maybe if I give them something else, or maybe there's something going on. Maybe they're, they're being obstructed over here. Maybe if I give them one more term, they can actually turn it around. Right. They can actually do what they said they were going to do. So I think that's an interesting shift that must have happened maybe in the last 10 years is that people are really backing their guy. And then they say, well, that's not my guy or whatever it is. Um, and you know, you, it kind of makes you wonder if, I mean, this is just my observation, but it kind of makes you wonder if that has changed because people are kind of paying attention a little more, but in some sense, people are not paying attention at all. I guess I'm trying to understand the psychology of that. So social media had a major impact. So you're you're right that, that there has been a major shift really within the last 14 years. And a lot of that is because of availability to your representative. So you see them post on social media, you see what's going on, you're able to interact with them or at least interact with their team and being able to have a greater understanding of where they're at. Right. AOC is a perfect, perfect example Mm -hmm. where she does an awful lot of Instagram lives or any of that stuff. And so she is constantly communicating not only with her, um, with her residents, but also or constituents, but also with everybody else. Right. And so so they're, it's, seeing it. they're seeing it. And so you're seeing a lot of this stuff take place, but then also I think a lot of it boils down to religion itself because we are at a point in time. And we spoke about this a few podcasts back where this is the first time in the history of the United States that less than 50% of the population say that they believe in a religion, they believe in a God. So it's, it's not just Christianity or Catholicism or Islam. It's all of them combined. Less than 50% of the U.S. population states that they are religious. But there are secular religions that have come out. Right. And when we talked about this, I brought up veganism because veganism or CrossFit. (laughs) CrossFit for sure. Where other things are taking the place of religion. And a large amount is politics are taking that place of religion. And so that's where you're seeing Trump's a perfect example. That's where you saw Trump be elevated to kind of a deity in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, especially with the QAnon crowd. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, it, I'm following. It's because, you know, it's kind of shocking because that's the, especially the QAnon crowd, that was a, a very religious group of people as well. But then politics also was a secondary religion to them. And Trump was kind of that deity. That was that their kind of Christ-like figure. And so that's where we're having the disconnect now is now when you have voted for the same person election after election and they aren't doing what you want them to do or what they promised that they would do. Now it's not just, Oh, I'm just going to vote for a different guy. Now it's no, I've invested in to my candidate. I've invested into this person. And so now I'm having to have a, a almost a, a, like an a, existential life crisis that your candidate is not who you thought they were. Or a self-evaluation, yeah. yes. And being able where it, now that's a representation of you because of how you've promoted them, how you've talked about them. And so now you either say, no, I'm going to give them one more term. And you constantly have that one more term aspect. 
or you bite the bullet and you're like, I just can't move forward with this person anymore. But it's almost to the point of a relationship breakup is how I would equate it. So interestingly enough, I think that the media plays a pretty heavy part in this. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's you and I have talked about this before. You know, you change, you look at CNN, they're saying one thing, you go to Fox, they're saying another thing. I mean, I like Al Jazeera even says totally different stuff. BBC, everything is looking completely different. And then I, I can use the example that I actually went, um, what, eight years ago? seven, eight years ago when Trump was running the first time, I actually did go to a rally out at the Budweiser event center because I wanted to hear him speak. It would have been 2016. Yeah. 2016. We went out to the rally and I was kind of like, I don't know. I just want to hear him talk. You know, this is my opportunity to hear this. Everybody's backing this guy. It's a big deal or, or they're totally anti-Trump, whatever it is. And so it obviously is going to shape out to be something totally, (laughs) totally different than what we expected. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or Hillary anyway. Um, but I went out and I listened to him speak and it was very interesting to see the sound bites that came from that rally were used in a totally different context. Yeah. Now, good or bad or right or wrong or indifferent, we should be very concerned that that's what we're getting. And then you have that public persona that your representatives like AOC are putting out for people to see and man, I'll tell you, they're getting nailed from every side. You don't really know what to believe anymore. Yeah. And, um, one particular news story that's getting an awful lot of traction right now is the Hunter Biden laptop story. Yeah. Tell me a little more about that. And so with that, it's, I can understand why a lot of the mainstream news networks did not run, take it and run with it. Right. Because we were a week away from the election in 2020. And then all of a sudden you had Rudy Giuliani and his group that came forward and said, Hey, Hunter Biden left this laptop at a repair shop. We ended up with it. It was brought to our attention. Here's all the information out on it. It, it was skeptical. So they stole a laptop? Uh, no, the owner of the, the owner of the repair shop had turned it over to um, some of the Trump affiliates. Cool. Yeah. So, really and there nice. was an awful lot of stuff on there that <laughs> is highly questionable on Hunter, on Joe Biden, on a lot of people within that family. So it is reasonable to understand why people were just like, yeah, I'm not going to touch that right now Yeah, because of the people that brought it forward. So I can understand that. But now we're two years after that point and now it's going, oh yeah, this is active. This is live. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, we, we thought because Rudy Giuliani was the one that was bringing it out that it was all just a farce. That's where the Russia collusion, all of that stuff. It's a nice red herring. Yeah, it, Exactly. And where CNN, MSNBC, all of these people are being slammed right now, New York Times, is because now they're coming out and saying, oh yeah, back then we didn't even have a reporter go in and look at it. Huh. And so now they're looking at it. Now they're trying, now they're seeing a lot of the factual aspects of it, but that is a perfect case of where a reporter's not doing their job because even though it's Rudy Giuliani, that's bringing it forward, you as a reporter, as a journalist, it's your duty to go in and say, Let's check this out. Yeah, Let me spend this looks like. 30 minutes of my time so I can either confirm or deny or know if I need to look into it further. Right. Does this even bear the time, you know, that it's going to take to determine whether or not there's a story there or there's Correct. a problem? Correct. Right. So 
now we bring this. So that's kind of the, the, from mm-hmm. the federal level. Now we bring it home. Now we bring it into our local municipalities where there is stuff that's, and I'm going to speak about birth because I know birth it. Yeah. So you have two trustees that did not run again. You had Jeff Heinemann and uh, Maureen Dower. Yeah. Both the people that were publicly chastised by the mayor after the opening, after the ribbon cutting of the rec center, because they both had a 10 minute speech that they just spent the entire time insulting over half the town. Right. Saying, you know, you didn't want this. You didn't, couldn't provide this. This is what we did for you. And you know, it was, it was horrible speeches. And Will Carspec, the mayor of Berthoud did the right thing by publicly shaming them for what they did. But then you had those two people endorse a slate of Tim Hardy, Sean Murphy, and Carl Ayers. Right. The three people that are now projected to win. Right. And you go, so why in a town of Berthoud, why is it when so many people are so frustrated with what the town has done over the last two years, the last four years? Right. Why on earth do you vote in the people that are supported by the people that caused most of the issues within this town. Right. Because if you go back to that, that rec center was what double the original budget and it really didn't measure up. So it was voted down. Yeah. It, it went to a public <clears throat> vote that was originally a $32 million bond. Right. The public voted it down overwhelmingly. Yeah. Said, no, we don't want to pay for that. Correct. So then it was the trustees that brought it forward. So it was mm-hmm. Jeff Heinemann, Marine Dower, that brought it forward and said, we're going to go ahead and do this anyways, with originally a $16.1 million bond. Pete Tomasi, who was sitting on the board, actually resigned because he's a financial planner here in Berthet. Okay. And he resigned his trustee position because of that. When they did the ribbon cutting, when it finally opened uh, last November, mm-hmm. the bond on it is over $34 million. And the worst part about all of this is the swimming pool. Yeah. The swimming pool is not big enough, so that way Berthet High School can use it as their home pool. Because they're still swimming at Loveland High, aren't they, or Thompson Valley? Thompson Valley. Yeah, so they still have to use it as a different pool because it's not an actual, like, rated Olympic-sized pool. Correct. Well, it's not even a full length. So it's missing, I believe it ends up being just a yard short of being a regulation length so it's at 49 yards uh no it's or is it uh, 24 oh okay so 24 yeah because i'm thinking yeah 25 well i swam for a very long time it's been a long <laughs> yeah 25 okay so then 25 yeah all right so and with that the other aspect of all of this is if and it's three lanes where if they would have made it regulation length and would have put in six lanes yeah then at that point in time the amount of money that was put forward through the CARES Act and through the other stimulus, Town of Berthoud could have claimed that money for education and paid off a good two-thirds of the rec center with federal funds. Well, and one of the things that I'm I, – I don't know if you know this or not, but um, having swam for so many years in junior high and high school, um, you know, a lot of local pools – I remember we would go to, up to Estes Park and we had to pay – to go up there and use their facilities to have, um, meets and, you know, um, like a state competition, things like that. And you can charge to do that. Correct. And, and it also brings in money into your city because you've got, I don't know, 600 swimmers and their families in your city. Yep. And I mean, if you, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So (laughs) a yard. 
Yeah. So you have Jeff and Marine that put forward as the slate and Tim Hardy's the only incumbent and Tim Hardy won his seat again. And I look at that and I just go, so Tim has never put forward any piece of legislation or and has never put forward any article at all right. in his entire tenure on the board. And he's been in lockstep with the exception of, I believe, one vote with Jeff and Marine the entire time. And so it's, it's infuriating to me when I go out and talk with people and they say that they want change and yet they vote in the same people. Well, and I, I mean, that's exactly why you were stepping up and saying you wanted to come in and be able to represent your constituents and say, hey, look, we got to do things differently here. And you have to prepare for all of the growth that is coming to birth it. Correct. I mean, the reality of it is, and I, I it, it really makes me pretty angry because, you know, I mean, OK, you win some, you lose some. Right. And I think there you, there's a reason for everything. But what's frustrating is that speaks to not whether or not you won, but that the voters are either not paying attention or they're backing somebody that they have no idea who they are. Correct. Or that what they're doing. And that, that goes back to the very basis of what we talk about is that if you don't like what's happening in your city, start at the local level. Correct. But then it just, it it just cascades up to the top. (laughs) So in, so certain towns, like Wellington, Wellington has a whole new slate of trustees as well as a brand new mayor. So they have seen and wanted to make some changes within their town, and they did that on election night. Windsor, they just voted in their incumbents. And so, again, it's one of those things that you f- try and figure out, okay, do we like the direction that we're going? Right. Well, and I think Windsor in the last couple of years hasn't had a whole lot of issues with their city council other than the city manager. Correct. And that was the fact that they, the mayor gave the city manager so much power, emergency powers throughout COVID yeah. that that created an awful lot of controversy. Right. And you would think that that would change your city council up. I'm just saying, because if that was what was occurring in our city council, I think that people would have had a fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, people tend to pay attention to the Loveland city council because there's just constant discourse and, and vitriol stuff being spewed at each other. And so you oh, get your absolutely. popcorn and you watch, right? I'm not watching until two in the morning. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I fast forward to good, good spots. Yeah. I don't even watch it during the actual live <laughs> feed anymore. So, and this is where it's, how do we move forward? November is key. Yeah. I think key for our nation because not only do we have, 435 representatives that are up Mm -hmm. for election, but you also have a third of the senators that are up for election. You have many governors. So our governor's up for election and you can, you have state senators, state representatives, the entire, the entirety of a state and the entirety of the nation can change on a single night. Well, and I think it's going to be incredibly interesting to see what happens with all of our new districts, districts. Am I saying that right? That have been drawn. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be incredibly interesting to see what happens. And as of note, um, Austin Hine took 70%. 72%. 72% at assembly. Yeah. And Hugh McKean has the signature, so he will be on the primary ballot. So he did get the signature. Correct. So it will be Austin Hine and Hugh McKean. And that's for House District 51. So that's most of Loveland. Yeah, so pay attention, guys. Correct. I mean, and I I would strongly suggest that you look at each of their websites and see what they represent and see if that's what you want to be represented as. I mean, we had Austin on 
just a couple weeks ago and, and he's got some pretty strong opinions Yeah, and that's perfectly fine. It's a good thing that he's being honest and open and direct. Um, you should expect that from you as well, because if you're not going to get that from him, Austin will win. You know what I'm saying? He'll win to get onto the primary election, but at again, at that least, point yeah. in time, then it comes down to the general. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I don't know about you, Alex, but when I get my ballot in the mail, I've already been looking at all these candidates and all of these things that are coming through. I've done this my entire life. I've actually only missed voting in one election, and it was because I was out of town. And because, honestly, I forgot to fill out my ballot and send it in before we left and realized I was out of the country. I was like, oh, cool. And it was, <laughs> you know, that was pretty frustrating. But if you're not going to pay attention and you're going to get upset and you're going to go yell at city council meetings and you're going to send letters and things like that, you've got to pay attention. You have to pay attention and you need to vote. And also be critical of the people that you elect. Yeah. It's okay to criticize. And I mean, obviously within levels of respect, right? But it's okay to criticize what they're doing and to point out that that's not the platform they ran at, ran on. It's not their promises. It's not what their constituents want. That's pretty important. And if, if that continues to happen, then they need to be voted out of office, plain and simple. Yeah. I mean, that's, and I'll tell you, my biggest frustration with the birth election is that we've got that many voters and there were 2,400 ballots returned. But you saw the exact same thing. So I, I don't disagree with you, but you saw the exact same thing happen in Windsor, in Wellington, oh, yeah. in Johnstown. Oh, yeah. You see it all over the place as far as the number of people that will vote in an election, especially when it's not pub- when it's not a national election. So let me ask you, and this is maybe a little personal, but um, obviously, you know, you'll be pushing forward and moving into, into offices and, and looking at running again for certain things. Maybe not this one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a year off from politics. Yeah, I've no. already, I've already told my wife, I've told, you know, even my boss and I just said, I'm, I need to focus on other things at the moment, sure. even focusing on this podcast sure, and being able to, to gain viewership and doing all of that stuff. It's, so I'm going to be taking a step back, but go ahead. What are you going to do though, Alex? Because I know you well enough that you will be active in other arenas as far as attending board of trustees meetings and uh, talking to people and uh, what are you going to do? So I'm still going to be actively engaged within the community. Um, some of the other stuff that I do. So I sit on the board for Stillwater Ranch. Yeah. We had the founder, executive director, Wendy, uh, Wendy Buckley here on the podcast. Yeah. And Wendy's awesome. <laughs> she is. Yeah. And so it's able, I'm able to use my energy in some other ways, but it is being active and involved, being a part of the, the chamber, being, being active within the community mm-hmm. and being engaged within trustee meetings, you know, <laughs> being that we do this podcast, I'm far more engaged and I would say a majority of the people are. Oh, heck I am now. I, I was not engaged at all. I mean, I knew what was going on and I would pay attention, but I wasn't paying attention to the level that I do now. Uh, I just want to throw in a quick little thing for Stillwater Ranch real quick because um, we love those guys. They're, they do amazing things, but they have found that they do need to expand their facilities. And so they're looking for other opportunities. And, and I would hate to see them leave Larimer County. That may be something that they need to do. However, if you are um, looking to do donations, if you realized when you did your taxes this year that you needed to do a little more of that, consider Stillwater Ranch. Yeah, and you can reach out to them at stillwaterranch.org. 
Yeah, they're awesome. I mean, I, I really so, love what they do out there. <laughs> so they, they are hosting a community event on Sunday. At, are they? Yeah, 1 p.m. They're doing their Easter egg hunt. Oh, fun. So you do have to register, but yeah, they're, uh, they're doing their Easter egg hunt. Last year was a hoot. This year, I imagine it's going to be even bigger. So I would imagine. You know, what they're doing out there, too, is so wonderful for our community. And that, that really, when we go back to the idea of our motivational series, where we're not just talking about the bad things that are happening, but we're really delving, like even, you know, living in the gap or um, really working on yourself as a leader, those kind of things. Stillwater Ranch is at the very heart of that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, and I, obviously we hadn't talked about this beforehand, but I've got a special spot in my heart for them. So if, if you are considered donating, that's a really, really great organization. Yeah. Yeah. Donate to them instead of donating to political campaigns. Yeah, seriously. I'll tell <laughs> so, you. And that's a, another thing that infuriated me when I ran for Congress in 2020. Now I, <laughs> I didn't even raise over $5,000. Um, for my race, but you look at the overall amount of money that was spent in the 2020 political campaigns, best case numbers is, uh, as far as the lowest amount that I've read was $14 billion nationwide. I've heard as high as $30 billion nationwide when you take into account all of the local elections and everything of that sort. So we had mom and pop shops that were being, Closed down. Yeah. We had small businesses being shuttered, life savings being obliterated, and yet there was over $14 billion given to elected officials to try and make sure that they could get a seat. Yeah, because that's not coming from those small businesses and from actual constituents. It's coming from businesses and lobbyists. And um, what was the name of that? What is It was the member of the mayor in Fort Collins. They had that huge backing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always follow the money trail, right? But that it it you it goes to the highest bidder essentially, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, over one hundred and seventy bill, or sorry, over one hundred and seventy thousand dollars was spent by the mayor of Fort Collins in order to win that seat. Why? I mean, that's I'm because here's the thing. Okay, of course, if you have a grassroots effort coming up, if you've got a no-name candidate, it's going to take a little bit more because you have to do more marketing, essentially, of your candidate. But that doesn't – the more money somebody spends on their campaign does not tell me that they are a good candidate. What that tells me is they've got the backing of people like lobbyists who want them elected for their own agenda. And and realistically, I mean, that – it really comes down to that. It's It's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I, and, you know, who paid for that flyer that went out to Bertha? Oh, that one's pretty easy. That was Jeff and Maureen. Yeah. So, but you look at this, and so this is where we have to focus on how do we move forward. And the best thing that you can do as an individual is be educated. Okay. Actually be educated on what you're voting for. And, you know, this time, so within Berthoud, Berthoud's a part of the new CD8, or is the 8th Congressional District in Colorado. Yep, yep. There is an income, there is not an incumbent. But then you have other parts, so Loveland is now a part of CD4. Yep. And then you, uh, Loveland and Wellington are, and then the rest of it is still a part of CD2. Right. So, and you have to look at it, so Jonah Goose is obviously running again. Yep. And what has he done? And what has he done for the communities? What has he done to ensure that he is actually helping the local communities? Now, the frustration is everybody gets 
And this is also something that I can encourage you to do. Everybody gets to the point that they're voting on about three hot button items. Right. And those three hot button items are deciding your candidates. Be open to more hot button items and actually have a better spectrum of what your candidate believes in as well as is willing to vote for. Right. Because unless it's something that's an end all be all for you, that may be the right candidate for your district because they may be making good decisions financially or for whatever. I mean, because if you look back at the last couple of years, we are, dear Jesus, coming out of this pandemic and we have a lot of businesses that are struggling. We have a lot of people that are just trying to make it. I mean, you know, the housing, just finding housing is incredibly frustrating and your representatives should be doing something to, to help with that. And if that's not their focus, if their focus, I'm sorry, if, those, if their focus is those hot button items and that's not what it is, you need to really start asking them why it's not their focus. Yeah. And so <clears> some <throat> of the stuff that's going to be coming up and that's, that we're going to be talking about, we've got a guest coming up at the end of the month that is the guy that's in the know as far as ESG. Are you familiar with ESG? No clue. What is that? So ESG has kind of gone mainstream this week because of Elon Musk. Elon Musk on Monday bought 10% of the shares within Twitter. I saw that, yeah. And one of the first things that he also tweeted out was talking about how ESGs are is essentially the devil and is can be the factor to bring down the United States. What does ESG So ESG, ESG is um, <laughs> trying to remember the acronym. It's um, environmental, social and government. And it's the ESG score. Now, ESG is alive and well in China where it's a, it's a essentially a popular credit score where if you speak bad about the government, if you speak bad about environmentalists, you speak bad about certain things, then at that point in time, it lowers your social credit score. So we have a, a guest that's going to be coming on, but that's even something to look at and go, you know, that's now becoming far more mainstream where it was out on the fringes. I mean, you had the, the fringes, Glenn Beck, some of the right wing pundits and all of that stuff that were talking about it, but nobody else was right. until you had the tweets from Elon Musk talking about ESG. So I think it's important to be able to have an expert on that on the podcast. And so he's going to be coming on um, towards the end of this month. Cool. Very cool. I'm looking forward to that because I think it's an interesting um, sort of picture about what politics looks like in the country and then how that actually affects the, not just politicians and, you know, the city councils, all of that down to everything. It really affects us as humans. That I think that's really the basis of what we've kind of been talking about too, is the idea that it's not just, who wins an election or if, if an incumbent wins or somebody else new comes up, there are so many interesting social aspects that go into this that really do affect our day-to-day life. Absolutely. You know, laws change based on who is sitting in those positions, whether or not they're representing you. You know what I mean? And it's, it can be incredibly frustrating. It, the, the prime example of this, Governor Polis. Yeah. And what, 182, Senate Bill 182, or what was it? Um, you're talking about oil and gas? Yeah, so I can't Senate never Bill, remember the number. Um, 181. Senate Bill 181. So that's a prime example of we promised one thing and we did something totally different. Or the voters made a decision and the people who were voted in said, yeah, I don't like that. I'm not doing it. Yeah. it just like with the Berthoud Rec Center. Correct. The voters said no. And they said, oh, we're going to do it anyway. 
So, I mean, that, that really, if you boil it way down to the very base of this, what's happening is that these people are getting elected based on their ability to rate, raise campaign funds, and then they are doing whatever they want to. So in with bringing up Governor Polis, so this is a race that it's, it's going to be an interesting race oh, as yeah. far as the overall governorship is concerned. And the thing that is fascinating is watching Polis turn, turn tail on a lot of the things that he stood for and now is going against because it doesn't pull well. Right. And so that's something that I also encourage you to look at is – don't just look at what they're campaigning on. Look at what their history has been. What are they doing? You have Governor Polis that for the last two years has caused massive, massive issues within small towns, yeah. within small business. Well, you have the big box stores that, you know, <laughs> made record record profits and all of this stuff. Right. And you just kind of look at this and go, okay, you talk about. You talk about affordable housing or affordable living within Colorado, yeah. but you've signed in, I think it's 83 different fees in your time in office that you've made it more expensive to be able to live here. And yet now you're talking about affordability. Yeah. Just even going to licensing, you know, like licensing your vehicles and, and the, the cost of paying for the highway expansions and all of those things, <laughs> I mean, the transportation bills, all of that. Yeah. It's total chaos. Well, and you look at even the things where now you have an opt out on when you go to register your vehicle is they're going to automatically put on your vehicle registration, a $30 park pass. Right. And if you don't want that, then you have to opt out of it. Right. It's just little things like that that you look at and you're going, who's making these decisions? And are you guys even listening to the, we the citizens, we the people? Right. Because while somebody who goes to the parks often enough, I'll totally do it. I'll, I'll opt in because we go to the parks enough that it will, you know, it'll save us a lot of money. But if somebody who is struggling to put food on their table needs to get their vehicle licensed, $30 could be make or break. And this is elderly people that can't pay for their medications or no. the single mom that's living in low income housing, but is working so hard to support her kids or, you know what I'm saying? I, or somebody that yep. just lost their house last year because they work in the service industry and they can't pay their mortgage. So they had to go into foreclosure or they're yep. being, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, let's just put some more fees on people. Yeah. So that's the thing to also look at throughout from now through November is what have these people stood for? And when they were allotted emergency power, yeah. what did they do with it? They took advantage of it in almost every single, every single venue. You know, it was, it was a while back. We actually were talking about the, um, Windsor city manager and Lance, we were talking with Lance and he was saying that it was it Lance. Yeah, I think it was, he was saying that he had, no, it was Ron Weinberg. Um, he was saying that, okay. Yeah, he may not have done anything yet, but that kind of power allows a very clear open door for that to occur. So in that same respect, if we allow that door to be wide open for them to take whatever power they want to and do whatever they want to, I would submit that we are preparing to shoot ourselves in the foot, hang ourselves with our own rope, if you will. Yeah. And I don't, it, that, that is incredibly frustrating because it's, this is exactly what's happening all over the country and people that actually want to make a difference aren't making or aren't able to because they're not being listened to or the incumbents are all being voted in. 
and this is the danger of a two-party system yep. where the power of the two parties, it's infuriating. And so there are certain – like Maine now has ranked choice voting, which I would love yeah. for ranked choice voting to come to a statewide elections in Colorado because it gives an opportunity for those that aren't affiliated with either the Democrats or the Republicans an opportunity to say, yes, I'm going to run. I'm going to be an independent. And right. it's, when you look at the numbers of it, almost every single county here within Colorado, yeah. the independents and unaffiliated candidates outnumber the party count candidates. Right. And I think that also gives somebody an opportunity to or say. constituents, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, I think that gives people the opportunity, to, though, to say, well, I don't really like, I'm not voting against this candidate. I'm voting for this guy or this guy or this guy. So one, two, thir- three ranking, right? Instead of saying, okay, Trump and Biden, right? Well, I'm going to either vote for Trump or I'm going to vote for Biden because I know that if I don't vote for blank, this guy's going to win. But I don't really like either one of them. This yeah. third guy doesn't have a chance though. So I have to vote for one of the two. So it would, it would eliminate, in my opinion, the idea that you're voting for the lesser of two evils. Yeah. Because we've seen that in... How many elections now? Just even on the national level. I, I mean, <laughs> all of them maybe? Yeah. I don't know. But that's well, – yeah. And the other, the other way that we can have a major shift is if you get rid of campaign finance. Yep. If you get rid of the super PACs, you get rid of a lot of the money that's in politics. Now, again, that's not going away. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. And so you aren't going to get – the elected officials to say, yeah, no, we're going to do away with this, this amount of money and donations that we can take it. But if you could eliminate the money aspect of politics, then it's far easier to have an independent voice. But you look at, you look at even one thing that I dealt with is running for running for Congress in 2019 in the legislative session in 2019, they put in a rule that any independent or unaffiliated candidates could not cure their signatures. So the number of signatures that were thrown out by the secretary of state, if you're party affiliated, then you get a number of days to be able to go and replace those Mm -hmm. signatures. If you're independent, you don't. Right. See to me that, that that's just exactly how the system wants it to work. The Democrats and the Republicans and, and granted it doesn't really matter which side you're on. Honestly, it's kind of silly to pick a side in this case though, because that what that does is it just works against us as a country. But the Democrats and the Republicans love that because that means that they don't have people coming up against them and they yeah. can just sit where they want to sit and do what they want to do. And yeah, there's some work on the backside. I wouldn't say that there's not, there's some work on the backside, but they have all the financial backing and they can essentially just continue to be reelected over and over. And that's where we need term limits. <laughs> so so two, two things that I would absolutely love is term limits and an age limit. Absolutely. Put in an age limit, especially at the federal level. You cannot run for re-election over the age of sixty-five. Hmm. If you turn, if you turn sixty-five in your term, and say you're a senator that you run at sixty-two, obviously you're going to be older than sixty-five by the time your term is done. Sure. But if we did it, pilots, shoot the FAA. If you're an air traffic controller, you are forced into retirement at the age of fifty-five because of cognitive decline. Pilots have an age restriction. Because of cognitive decline. I don't think that you should be running our country 
if you are over the over a certain age where it's pretty obvious it's pretty obvious joe biden has is in cognitive decline nancy pelosi the fact that we have multiple representatives in office right now over the age of 85 well and you're hitting the nail on the head with that one alex because here's the thing we have some pretty big differences with generations you got the younger kids coming up, and I, I say kids, but younger adults coming up that believe a totally different way than the older generation does. And all of those generations in between are all voting, and they're all voting voting completely different. But if you look at where they're targeting voters, there's a very serious disconnect. Yeah. I mean, that, at least in my opinion, that's what I see because there are very clear directions that as younger Oh, that's the nicest thing I've ever said to myself. Uh, younger voters are saying, wait, no, hold on a second. That's not the direction we want our country to go in or we need to fix that. But I, so I can't remember if it was CNBC or, or what it was that they put out a, an article that was talking about, are we ready for more millennials in Congress and to be our representatives and elected officials? And I just kind of, I sat there and I chuckled to myself because one, millennials are late 20s to 40. Yeah, because I'm considered a geriatric <laughs> millennial. Thanks, guys. Late 20s to 40. Right. Right now. they Millennials aren't young anymore. Right. We're not. You're not kids. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine that it was like, you know, it, <laughs> you're talking about paying for your kids' college right now. And it sort of just occurred to me. You know, when you get into trouble, your kid calls you and says, hey, I wrecked the car. Great. We have insurance. <laughs> when you wreck the car as a kid, you're like, the world has ended. Yeah. I am so screwed. I mean, even thinking about getting a student loan <laughs> at 18 was so overwhelming. And now I'm like, yeah, whatever. Because I know that I'm capable of providing those funds or because I've set myself up or whatever. Right. Yeah. But th these are the people that are taking over our country or should be. But with ter without term limits, they're not. Correct. And so that's where also with term limits, lobbyists won't won't allow term limits. The only way that we will not. get term limits is if we have a um, uh, what's the terminology? A it's convention of states. If we have a convention of states, then at that point in time, we can go into it. Oh, I see. So all the states agree. Correct. Oh, okay. So I was going to say, I don't know what that is. <laughs> we need, okay. I believe, 34 or 37 states in order to actually hold a convention of states, and then they can put forward term limits. I think in Congress, you have four terms. It's a total of eight years. Yeah. In the Senate, you're allowed two terms. That's 12 years. Right. So even if you have a career politician, they're in and they go from a representative, four terms, and then two terms in the Senate, they're in for 20 years and then they're out. I think 20 years is the maximum amount of time that any politician should be in power for because outside of that, so much has changed. Right. And, and I mean, just like look at the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean, in 2002, we were in a totally different world. Oh, absolutely. You go 20 years before that, it's a totally different world. I mean, if I if I have to teach a congressman how to use an iPad, <laughs> 
then maybe we need to talk about whether the or not they should tubes. be <laughs> the series of tubes. Oh yeah, seriously. The Alaskan uh, representative, I forget his name, but yeah, when he was talking about the series of tubes, oh was just gosh, like, oh. was it Ted? Um, <laughs> oh, the, the, yeah, it's not some big truck. Um, okay, here's what I will say though, and it, it that actually kind of circles back to our original point and your original point um, is that you know we have 20 to 40 year old people that are in our country that have something to say about what is happening to the country. Okay. And they're not able to get into office because they don't have these crazy financial, you know, they're not getting huge donations to their campaigns because they're totally unknown and the lobbyists aren't going to back them because it's not this guy that is making me tons of money or my company tons of money. I mean, really that's, that's the long and short of it. And I, I, it almost, and I'm going to use the word, we need a little bit of a revolution in the idea that we get younger people in there. Now I know not everybody likes AOC, but at least she's rocking the boat. You know what I mean? She's saying something. She is representing these people that voted her into office. So it it needs to happen. I don't know what change needs to occur. Maybe it is that, you know, campaigns aren't, it's not financially backed kind of thing. Maybe it is that the lobbyists aren't part of this anymore because our country is not going to do well if our generation is not allowed to take over and do the things that we need to do to be a sustainable country. Yeah, and the founding of this nation was because of taxation without representation. Oh, boy, howdy. And now we're at a point that we have a majority of the representation that is not is not representing the newest generations. Well, and not even just the taxation without representation part of it, but these people are financially, they're, they're elite. <laughs> they have $56 million, you know, vineyards and they live on their estates and they fly everywhere and they do all these fancy things. And then they tell us to conserve energy and line dry our laundry and not to drive regular vehicles. Oh, you better buy an electric vehicle because it's bad for the environment. But I pulled my yacht out of port this morning (laughs) and this is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm just throwing it out there. And I, I, I mean, you know, as, 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 and you're not, but as a geriatric millennial, (laughs) There are certain things that I am willing to be, you know, to do to be financially prepared and to be a steward of the environment and to consider what other people's lives look like and how I can better those lives. But our elected officials are not doing that. No. I, and there's a problem with any elected official that goes in, not not broke, but comfortable middle class and comes out a millionaire. Well, right. I mean, this is, this kind of goes and I, not to change the subject too much, but you know, there is a, a nurses march happening in Washington, DC. Um, and it's basically because people are saying, well, we shouldn't be paying travelers that much, or we shouldn't be allowing people to travel within their own state or all of these things. And I mean, the reality of it is these people stepped up and they met a need across the country. Nurses from all over the country traveled around and followed the waves of COVID to save people's lives. And now we have a problem with that. I mean, I have talked to some people who are like, well, you know, the people just went into it for the money. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't. Okay. There is some altruistic pieces of being a nurse and I'm not saying that I don't think about my patients in that manner, but I'm not going to do this for free. Yeah. I mean, it's devastating on my body. Doctors aren't doing it for free. They're, they're being paid very well. And a lot of the doctors back that up. So in that same vein, though, just to kind of switch back to the political realm, obviously 
people aren't going to go into these arenas for free, but if they're making so much money that they're totally out of touch with the people that they're serving, they need to be out of office. Yeah. I mean, just FYI, here comes November, guys. You better pay attention. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good stopping point for today. Too. Sorry, there I went. I, I ranted a little bit. <laughs> no, you're good. It's it's an important topic to discuss, and politics. As much as you may hate it, you got to talk about it. You got to have the conversations at the din- at the dinner table, and be willing to have disagreements to be able to figure out. Okay, who are the people that actually should be running this country? Right. And I think it's important when you have a conversation with your family members or people that you trust their opinion, even if you don't agree on something, it's important to really ask, why do you feel that way? Tell me why, because then I can understand where you're coming from. And and at the very least, um, maybe it'll give you a little ammunition for the next argument. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into uh, the favorite part of the podcast. We uh, did not have it last week, but it's time for beer of the week. Oh, yeah. Beer of the week. This is one of my favorite beers, actually. All right. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you dive into it. All right. So we are, uh, dealing or we're, we're bringing forth Prost Brewing Company. It is out of Fort Collins. Um, what road is that on? So it is right behind Illegal Pete's in Fort Collins, yeah. but they also have another brew house down in Denver. So it's both Denver as well as in Fort Collins. Yeah, we were introduced to them through uh, the rugby team, actually, because they were sponsors for us for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am going to introduce the uh, Cone Style Gold Ale. It is a Kolsch, and it is 4.8% alcohol by volume. Um, not sure if I see an ABV on there. Um. That one's 4.8. Oh, oh, sorry. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I just said it it too. Alcohol by volume. Well, guys, I, man, I'll tell you that nap I took today was not. (laughs) Anyway, it's the, it's the Kolsch and I'm going to take a swig of it because the two of them are kind of similar. Um, but they're both so good. This one's a, a good, light, easy drinking beer. It's one of those that it's a lower ABV. You can go out to the brewery, especially if you're, if you go to the brewery up in Fort Collins, they have cornhole. They've got all the different stuff set up. Yeah, what's it's, that ring game? I, I forget what the ring toss. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's uh, it's a good, easy drinking beer that you can have a couple of them. Not worry about you know being too tipsy to drive home or anything of that sort. And don't drink and drive. Yeah, don't drink and drive. Um, but this it so it's interesting because they call it a cone style gold ale. And how I would describe it as a flavor is when you take that first sip, you get a nice, clean, refreshing taste through it, and then it's like as you sort of process the flavor, you do get a very crisp, kind of bright flavor on the back of your. It's actually, I love this one. Yeah. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> that one, ice cold, just after you, you mowed the lawn, it's fantastic. Darn straight at the lake. <laughs> Heck yeah. So, and then the other one that we've been tasting while we're doing this podcast is their German-style dark dark lager. Uh, let me try that one again. Their German-style dark lager, their Dunkel. And this one's a 5.6 alcohol by volume. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was just going to ask, what's the alcohol by volume of the ABV? <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel kind of silly for asking that earlier, but man, I need You're a good. Nap. Are you Are you doing all right? I'm so tired. <laughs> so, but with this one, it is fantastic. Oh, I it's love just this one. Kind of the maple notes notes on it, and uh, again, very crisp, very clean. Yeah, it's got kind of a malty flavor to it, but then you do taste that sort of maple on the back of it. And it's it's not overwhelming, but the flavor is good. You could drink two or three of these and really enjoy it and not, you know, feel like you're tipsy. Um, and, and realistically, 
I, yeah, it's a good clean beer. I like Prost. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so if you haven't tried Prost, definitely pick up the 12-pack. They've got a great sampler pack with their winter lager in it, as well as their Pilsner. Um, or just shoot up to the brewery, because it's a great time to hang out. And if you've had one too many, just walk around the corner to Illegal Pete's and... and uh, Uber home. <laughs> Uber home. Dude, Illegal Pete's got good tacos, man. <laughs> so, yeah, love these guys. Awesome. Well, it was, it was good to have a conversation. And again, keep an eye on uh, the final results, the official results on all of these races will be out late next week, either the 14th or the 15th, because they have eight days after the election. And I, I can't remember if all of them count Sunday or don't count Sunday. That's the reason why I'm off on my dates. So, but definitely take a look at them, know your representation, know who your representatives are and be willing to, to spend the time to get to know them and to hold them accountable. Well, and be willing to have the conversations with each other because this infighting, this has to stop. It has to stop. We can all come to an agreement or at least agree to disagree. Yeah. You know? Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in and give us a, a like and subscribe and Definitely, if you can review us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, we'd greatly appreciate that. And if you have any suggestions, especially beers of the week, we've been kind of going back through and we're like, we've had an awful lot. And if there's something that we have not hit yet, uh, reach out to us at the native, not the transplant at gmail.com. Well, Jen, another episode down. As always, I'm your native, Alex Johnson. And I'm your transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.